You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Have you ever had one of those people in your life that they always have some silly catchphrase or saying that seems to get on your nerves? It might have been an, an uncle or an auntie or a grandparent or a father. For me, it was, it was my old boss at Lendlease when I was working there as an accountant at the Horden Pavilion. And he made me always say this silly phrase. Uh, he, would, he would always come in and he'd say, Sam, are you winning? And the deal was I then had to say to him, yeah, not yet, boss, but it's only half time. <laughs> and so you know, every, every, just felt like every day, come in, Sam, you're winning. Not yet, boss, but it's only half time. We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, look, we are in an amazing season at the moment. Wouldn't you agree? We are seeing the most incredible things happening in the life of our church. Like I was saying on the front of our Northside News that we're seeing generosity increase. We're seeing uh, people coming in who are non-Christians checking out our services. We're seeing Northsiders inviting them, their friends to church. We're seeing boys coming to youth in KFC uniforms. Uh, we, we are seeing a momentum and a dynamism and a freshness happening on a Sunday. Like last Sunday, if you weren't here... And the panel session that we had there was just phenomenal with what, what came out of the way that God was teaching us as a church. We are, we're in an incredible season, and yet I, I say it's an incredible season with a cautious optimism. Because you only need to look at the Swannies to see what I'm talking about here, right? For all of the AFL fans, I had to do a bit of research this morning being a rugby man. But the Swannies, the Sydney Swans, if you don't know them, are our beloved AFL team. And they got all the way to the grand final. They were apparently minor premiers, right, which meant that they led the competition. They were incredibly consistent. Uh, they were an unstoppable team. And they get to the grand final and they totally flop. It's like they didn't even turn up. And so it could be a new phrase. I don't want us to get swanified, Right. <laughs> Because the question I've been asking here of the great game of AFL is, how did such a powerhouse team bomb? What I realised is that it, often it's not, when it comes to those high-pressure moments and those high-pressure games, often it's not the fittest teams or it's not the fastest teams or it's not the flashiest teams that, that win. It's the teams that best execute the basics. After an entire season, they didn't execute the basics. They just didn't do the basics well. And so as we now begin in this new series, what I see shapes who you'll be. Now, it's not what I see, Sam. That's a phrase for you to go and say to yourself when you're in the car. What I see shapes who will be. What I see shapes who will be. When we start this new s series and we begin now to look at some of the fundamental steps about what our vision for Northside could be, what I came to is I thought, I'm there praying and I'm sitting and I'm working it all through. And then what was oh, so annoying, my new boss, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said to me, are you winning yet? And I said, no, boss, but it's only half time. No, boss, it's only half time. You see, church, so long as there's teenagers that have got to wear KFC shirts in order to lie to their parents to come to the church, we're not winning so long as there are 75-year-olds in homes cloaked in this thing called loneliness, we're not winning. 
So long as there are young people on the lower north shore that are doing all sorts of different favours to get themselves into the city for free to go binge drinking, we're not winning. So long as the generations from the youngest to the oldest in this society have no place to meet and connect and to pass wisdom onto one another, we're not winning. So long as there are 35-year-olds that are sitting a block away from us brunching at the moment with the Finn Review and Vogue as the only reference point for their life, we're not winning. We're not winning, but it's only half time, right? And I thought that image of the Swannies and half time, that sums up the best where we are as a church. You see, this series, this series is not some vision pre-game amp up that you have at Star City with all the glitz and the glamour before the grand final. You know, you know what this series is about? This is a, this is a half time review. As some of us, many of us here, we've been doing church here at Northside for a while. Some of you might feel a bit like Sam Burgess at halftime from the NRL grand final. There's a broken cheek and a black eye and there are grass stains, there's spiritual grass stains all over you from the, from the grit and the grind of the Christian life that you've been living. It's only halftime church. This is not some pregame rev up. It's halftime and we have to realise that we're not winning. If we see things clearly... And so, I guess as your coach, that's all I am, I'm no better than anyone else, I'm just a coach, all I'm trying to do is point us back to the whiteboard of the basics. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to come back to basics, church, and that's exactly what Paul was doing here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says here in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Of first importance, the underlying Greek word there basically meant the basics. For what I passed on to you was simply... The basics. And so Paul is talking here to a church that it's in trouble. People are getting drunk off the communion wine. They're disorderly in worship. Class wars have divided. Race wars are starting to divide the church. The rich won't sit with the poor. The poor are complaining about the rich. Uh, The poor can't can't come in and get enough food because everyone's eating it all up and they're having a big feast. This is a church in trouble. And there are two ways to preach this passage. You know, one way is preachers take it and, and they paint this picture of the Corinthian church and they say, oh, thank goodness we're not like them, church. You know, or don't be disorderly or don't do that. And yet Paul does something wonderfully simplistic and boring. If you go and read through Corinthians all the way through, you know, chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, there are thousands of words about this sort of stuff. And he comes down to this one phrase in chapter 15 where he says, you know what, church? Let me remind you of the basics. So how does Paul solve the problems of disunity, of class wars, of racial divisions? He says, with the gospel, the basics. Now, I didn't want to preach this to you this morning. I didn't want to do this this morning. You know why? The basics can feel boring. And we preachers, we we want to get the word of God. and, And we want to find things that you haven't read during the week. And we want to say it in ways that make you in your mind or after the service go, oh, wow, that was fantastic, Sam. You see, that's how we preachers get our self-esteem, you know, of taking stuff that seems revelatory and saying it in a way that you just, oh, wow, that's fantastic, that's profound. And what God showed me and what Paul does here is you just got to go back to the basics. You've got to go back to the basics. Now, some of you this morning might already be thinking, you're chomping at the bit and you're saying, yeah, but what about where we're going, Sam, and what we're doing? What, what's the future vision? What's the direction we're taking? And I guess my answer to you this morning is, if I asked you, would, would you like a Tarago or would you like a Porsche? 
Now, yeah, some say Porsche. Some say Tarago. The Porsche is a bit low. I don't know how I'm going to get into it. And... But let me ask you to let me paint the picture again. Imagine I came to you. You're in the middle of the desert. Your family is dying of thirst. The nearest town is 100 kilometres away. There's a, a, a litre of water between you. I come up to you and I say, would you like a Tarago or a Porsche? You're going to say Tarago for sure. And you see, the principle out of all of this is that the form should always serve the function. Form should always serve function. The function there in that sense is you've got to save your family. You've got to get the water. And so a a clapped out, banged up, ugly looking thing is exactly what you need. (laughs) And yet, isn't it funny when we come to talk about vision, people often say, okay, well, uh, all right. So we could could be putting a center in here and we need to be doing counseling stuff. And we we could be uh, sending out teams over here like this. And we could have dynamic uh, stuff in the service and we could have banners and we could... Form always needs to serve the function. Until we catch a clear glimpse of what the function of the church is, then we don't know which one to pick. So what is the function of the church? The function of the church, says Paul, is to pass on the gospel. Seems really simple. Why? It's because the gospel, it was the gospel that changed everything. So in other words, a bit of church history here. It wasn't the methods of the church that changed the world. It was the message. That Paul says perfectly here in 1 Corinthians 19. He, he, he says a, a little bit later on, verse 13, sorry. He comes, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless. He's saying, if this stuff didn't happen, then just wrap the whole shop up. He's saying if God didn't punch a hole in the roof of the world, did not incarnate as the, as the son of God, did not come in here and die for our sins, if he was not killed and raised again, then, then what it means for you this morning is if you ask whether you're sceptical about the faith or whether you're a strong Christian, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then you might as well pack the whole thing up. In fact, why worry? Why, why get too concerned about the relationship that's breaking down? Why the anxiety? On the other hand, why the, why the laughter? All of this stuff is just atoms rolling around in your head. <laughs> if all we do when we, we go to the grave is rot in the ground, then why worry? The gospel changes everything, and that is exactly what the early church took into the world. Acts 4, this amazing dynamic. Yeah, the, the church of Jerusalem, it grows. At one point, it says 3,000 were added to their number in one day. Now... Straw poll with the church here. Would we say that's a pretty good result for the church? I mean, if that happened at Northside, would we say we're winning now? I'd say we're winning now if we had 3,000 in one day. And yet God had other plans. It says a great persecution broke out in the, in the church. The church got squeezed and crushed. And it says in Acts 8.4, it then says the brothers and the sisters went preaching the gospel wherever they went. That's what made the church explode. That they preached the gospel wherever they went. It's the message of the church that changes the world. Why? Because the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. It's, it's hard news versus soft news. You know the difference between hard and soft news? Uh, hard, news is, hard news is there's been a change of government, government tonight and Tony Abbott is our new prime minister. That's hard news. There's a new regime. Soft news is uh, Eddie is going to come back after the break to explain the benefits of the new paleo diet. Right? 
That's, that's soft news. So, so you know, could, the world was changed by the hard news of the gospel. Can you imagine the apostles going into the poor and the downtrodden and the slaves and the intelligentsia of the, of, of the countryside in first century Palestine and say, saying, oh, hey, you poor downtrodden slave, you poor person. You know, you know, there's a hot new paleo diet coming out of Athens. You know, if, if you just eat well and you live well, you are going to feel really good and you're going to be really happy and it's going to change your life. You, th- you think that changes the world? No. Paul, Paul says, this guy lived, he breathed, he appears to 500 people, he appeared to me. There is something different. There is hard news that has changed the face of the world. And so it's the message that, that then, from that, gave birth to the church. It was a message that, that then brings the classes together and the races together and enemies together. The gospel is the hope for the world. Think about it. Whether you're a skeptic, whether you're a Christian, if he wasn't raised, then let's just wrap the whole thing up. It changed the way that people saw the world. And that's what Paul does. Isn't it a wonderful application that he goes through? And simplistically, he says, come back to the basics. See the basics. You know what he's doing? He's like, anyone been to the optometrist? We've got a few four eyes in the congregation. Yeah, real four eyes. I don't mean like the old series I was talking about, four eyes. I, I wear glasses as well. I had to go to the optometrist the other week. And they, they put this funny little contraption on your eye that blows wind on your eye. It makes me shiver. And I said to the optometrist, why do you do that? And they said, it's, it's just to shake you out of the way that you are already viewing things. And I thought, hang on, I thought the way I view things is the way the world is. And he said, no, your eyes, they're already constricted. They're already seeing things according to a certain bias. We call it your prescription in optometrist land. And so then you get behind this funny machine, which is the symbol of this whole series that comes down. It looks like it's going to kill you and it's just going to eat your face alive. And, And what he does is he starts to take all these lenses and he puts them in front of your eyes and he says, is that clear or is it fuzzy? Clear? Fuzzy. Anyone been through this? Paul, Paul's the ultimate optometrist for his church. And what he's doing here is he says, we've got problems out here with, with unity and racial divides and class wars. And instead of saying, stop that, stop that, stop that, you know what he does? He sits them down in the chair and he pulls the lens of the gospel over the top of them and saying, is it clear or is it fuzzy? Is it clear or is it fuzzy? Is it clear or is it fuzzy? Because Paul understood, ready to say it, church, what I see shapes who will be. What I see shapes how you see the gospel of Jesus Christ determines the sort of church that we will become. So in that way, let me just optometrize you for a little bit. Let me just make sure that we've got our lenses clear quite quickly. And there's three different lenses that I want to paint for you. That is then what we're then going to see is how that can actually move into the ministry fronts that could possibly shape the future of our church. So we're going to talk the lenses and then some of the practicalities. The lenses are is that the gospel is up, down, inside out, forward, back. Pretty simple. The gospel, see, it's, it's not a simple thing. It's, there's lots of different ways that you can view the gospel. Let me show you. First way is that it's up, down. Uh, remember in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, But the Son of Man came... To be served, not not to uh, not to not to be served, but to serve. Son of Man came to serve. The gospel first we see is up down. That because Jesus is a king who becomes a servant, what we have here is a reversal of the world's values. 
that it's upside down, that in Jesus' kingdom, the poor is above the rich, that the sorrowful will be happy, that the last will be first, right? Is this sounding familiar? It should do. It's basics. <laughs> now, what, now, why is that? It's imitating the way that Jesus saves the world. Philippians 2 says, Though he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself, making himself into the very nature of man. And gave up his life on the cross. And so, though Jesus was rich, he becomes poor. Though he's a king, he becomes a servant. Though he's the greatest, he humbles himself. Though he could have won by power, he loses all through weakness. You know, let's think about it. What is the world value? Power, recognition, status, self-interest, not selflessness. See, the gospel's upside down. It's God incarnate. It's God coming in to meet our needs, to serve us, not to be served. It's up down. But the other thing that it is, is that it's inside out. Another way to look at it, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as, as the basics, says Paul, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So it's inside out. See, the Pharisees, the traditional religion, even religion today, here's what religion says. Religion says, do good moral deeds and then you'll be right with God. Do good things and then maybe God will wash your sins away. Obey God and then you will be saved. And yet Christianity is utterly different. Christianity says the truth of the gospel is that Jesus has come in and he has died for your sins. He's wiped all that away. And so now you obey, not because you have to, but because you want to. So Christianity is utterly different. And see the difference? It's, it's now inside out. It's not outside in. It's inner transformation, not moral conformity. Sounding familiar? Yeah, it should. It's the basics. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to preach this. <laughs> We're going to see why this is so critical. The gospel is forward back. Then Paul goes on. Ultimate gospel summary. He then goes, verse 3, it's saying that he dies for our sins. And then verse 4, it says that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then after that to more than 500 people. Now, the resurrected Christ. What it shows us first and foremost here is that the gospel is not theology. The gospel's history. People might be saying here this morning, oh, hang on, all right, is this going to be restrictive the way that we're going at Northside? You're going to tell me what I've got to believe here? No, we're painting a framework here. This is, this is a historical fact. This guy raised, was raised and 500 people saw him. And so what it shows us is that Jesus is resurrected and we are not yet. It means that Jesus Christ is still alive at the right hand of the Father in bodily form. We've done a whole series on that that just blows your mind but what it, what it says is that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and that it's coming back and the God will not whisk us away into the clouds as some spiritual beings, but it says that there will be a new city, it will be a new creation, that the creation will be restored, that all that is good and wonderful about this world will remain, that matter matters. That's what the resurrection shows us. And so we live in the in-between of all of that, that that. Jesus has come and we're his people living it out. But then at the end of the day, we know that daddy's going to come down the stairs. <laughs> and he's going to smack all the bullies of the world. <laughs> all the evil and all the injustice. And that he, he is going to come and he's going to pass judgment upon the world. And that he's, he's going to make things right. And I put it to you this morning, if that sounds tough and that sounds like it makes you want to squirm, I put it to you that you need a God that is a good and a just judge. 
that we can't sit and idly watch the injustice of the world go by if we don't believe that one day God is coming back down to make that right. And we Christians, we live in the tension of all of that every time that we're now but not yet. But you know what that does to us? Here's what it does. It makes sure that we are not ISIS, nor are we the Amish. Hear me out here. It means that we're not ISIS, but nor are we the Amish. Because on one hand, because Jesus is resurrected and coming back to make the world right, we need not convert the world by violence to feel like we will be victorious. And on the same hand, because God thrust himself into the world and said that matter matters and he's resurrected and I am making the world right again, then it means don't withdraw from the world. Don't move off into the countryside. Let us not be some little commune, but instead be part of this world and be part of the answer to the injustices that are around us. So you see the lenses? It's, it's up, down, it's inside out, it's forward, back. Are you with me? Ah, the basics. How wonderfully uninspiring this morning. <sighs> okay, let me finish practically. How might this play out over the coming weeks? This is what we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks of this series. What could be the ministry fronts for our church? Because one of the exciting things as we move to things like Catalyst Nights and we think through all these different ideas, we need some of these ideas in terms of, of how we apply this gospel into our world. But the question is, uh, you know, often people come to Vision Time and they say, you know what, we've always done worship really well. We need to be a missional church. Let's do lots of mission. Let's do lots of mission. Or we've, oh, we've, we've been really good at doing some missional stuff. So you know what we need as a church? We need sound biblical doctrine. We need sound teaching is what's going to grow us as a church. Or, or people come in and say, look at the state of the world at the moment. We've, we're good at the worship. We've got a great building. We've got all sorts of different stuff. You know what? We need to heal the hurts of the city around us. So we need to do that. And so my, my question for you is, have, have you seen churches that are like that? Because often churches, they go down a particular bend. Often churches get, you know, the new young preacher like me comes in and says, you know what, church? We've never done this well in the past. So this is what we need to be doing. Mission, 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 mission. Or teaching, 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 teaching. And you're, you were all wrong, you know, and I'm right. And Here's the question, what if it could be all? You see, because the heart of what Paul was going at here is don't chase all of these things, the mission, the community, the social justice. You know what those things are? Those things are the overflow of the gospel. And so church, what I'm saying to us in our new season is what if we were a gospel-centered church? And here's what happens if we become a gospel-centered church. The gospel shapes, firstly, if it's inside out, how you see others. You know, What if we were a church where legitimately, genuinely, race and power was not an issue? That our differences were always automatically being re- reconciled? That the rich were sitting next to the poor without any differences? That the distinctions of people's ethnicities no longer ma- mattered? What, what would it look like to the world if we were a community that way? And you see, unless you see the up-downness of the gospel, unless you see a God incarnating himself in order to relate to you in spite of your differences to him, then you're not going to relate to other people that way. We'll always be making distinctions. We'll always be divided. You know, until you see the up-downness of a God giving away his wealth to make you rich, then how the heck are we going to be able to share our resources into this wonderful community? See how the gospel shapes how you see others. But here's the other thing. The gospel shapes how you see the city. 
What if we could be a church that genuinely approached radical outsiders as if they were our own? What if we could be a church that radically embraced people like a set of Buddhist parents because their son has come to youth group on a Friday night? Without judgment or condemnation, but a a wonderful, gentle openness. What could make a church like that? You see, until you see the inside-outness of the gospel, that God makes no distinctions on the basis of a relationship with you, then who are you to make the distinctions to other people? See how it's working? What you see shapes who will be. And the, the last front, you know, the gospel shapes how you see your culture. And what, what if we were a church where social justice and mission and social reform and helping the poor and wronging injustices was not just something that was left up to those organisations that tend to have people with buckets in Martin Place. <laughs> Until you see the forward-backness of the gospel, right? Until you see the forward-backness of the, that in God's plan in the resurrection to, is to restore the world and to set his community into that world in order to take these things and make it right again. And the result suddenly becomes that no longer is it the plains of Madagascar as our mission fields, but our workplaces become the mission field. That our families become the mission field. That our friendship groups become the mission field. The forward backness will shape that church. Can, can, you, can you see how the gospel shapes what we will be? Or what if we could have integrated ministry where all of these things were happening at once? The only way that we will do it, church, is if we are a gospel centered church. Oh. Don't you love the basics? Oh, so wonderfully inspiring this morning. Uh, Look, what does it mean for you and I as we finish? There was something about this guy. There's something that it catches me as well. Paul said the gospel is the power of God. He didn't say our church buildings are the power of God. He didn't say that our connection groups are the power of God. He didn't say our worship is the power of God. He said the gospel is the power of God. And so, church, we come back to the basics this morning. This is not some pregame rev up. This is, this is a half-time whiteboard session. So I'm sorry if I sound like I'm repeating myself. But as you coach, it is not the flashy teams or the fast teams or the fittest teams that win games when the pressure comes. And it's going to come. It's going to come with the world that we are seeing around us. It's the ones that come back to the basics. The great grandfather of the church, Martin Luther, got this. He said, the gospel of God is the chief doctrine of the Christian faith. We would do well to learn it well and then to beat it into our heads repeatedly. I'm hoping to be a little bit more gentle on you in the coming weeks. But church, we we come back to the basics this morning. And when you come to understand the different lenses through which we view this world-changing message, as you begin to take that on and reshape who you are, as you begin to take that and apply that to your life, then that phrase will become true of you and I. Say it in your car this week. (laughs) What I see shapes who we'll be. Let's pray.
Father, we're not winning, but it's only half time. And boss, we ask that uh, each and every one of us, Lord, you would give us open hearts and open minds. Father, you would stir our spirits this morning, that we, we would dare not remain complacent, that we would dare not spiritually yawn when we come up against these fundamental truths, when we look back and see that it was these fundamental truths that turned the world upside down on its head. Father, I'm praying for each and every one of us this morning that we would be a community that would dare to believe that this stuff works. That we would not be distracted by cleverness or flashiness or church fitness. That each and every one of us would, would own this fundamental principle this morning. Father, we simply need to come back to the basics. Father, there is so much more work to be done. We're going to need your Holy Spirit to take what is your, Lord, yours, Lord Jesus. And to make it known to us and to teach us and to guide us. But at least as we head back out into our worlds this week, Heavenly Father, may we be absolutely clear on the fundamental framework that has made this wonderful, mysterious, world-changing community called the church what it really is. We pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.